Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to the After Party. Abandoned, abused, and exploited. The cursed life of the feral child, Jeannie Wiley. The story of Jeannie Wiley, the feral child, sounds like the stuff of fairy tales. An unwanted, mistreated child survives internment from an ogre and is rediscovered and reintroduced to the world in an impossibly youthful state. Unfortunately for Wiley, hers is a dark fairy tale with no happy ending. Wiley was separated from any form of socialization in society for the first 13 years of her life. Her intensely abusive father and helpless mother neglected Wiley so badly that she hadn't learned to speak, and her growth was so stunted that she looked like she was no more than eight years old. Her intense trauma proved something of a godsend to scientists of various fields, including psychology and linguistics, though they were later accused of exploiting the child for their research on learning and development. But Wiley's case did beg the question of all of us. What does it mean to be human? Jeannie isn't the feral child's real name. She was given the name to protect her identity once she became a spectacle of scientific research and awe. Wiley was born in 1957 to Clark Wiley and his much younger wife, Irene Oglesby. Oglesby was a Dust Bowl refugee who had drifted to the Los Angeles area where she met her husband. He was a former assembly line machinist raised in and out of brothels by his mother. <laughs> this is boding well. This childhood had a pronounced effect on the man, as for the rest of his life, he'd fixate on the figure of his mother. Clark Wiley never wanted children. He hated the noise and the stress they brought along. Nonetheless, the first baby girl did come along, and Wiley left the child in the garage to freeze to death when she wouldn't be quiet. The Wiley's second baby died of a congenital defect, and then came along Jeannie Wiley and her brother John. While her brother also faced their father's abuse, it was nothing compared to Jeannie's suffering. Though he was always a bit off, the death of Clark Wiley's mother by a drunk driver in 1958 seemed to undo him completely. The end to the complicated relationship they shared fanned his cruelty. He was thrust into the dubious pantheon of the worst child abusers the country had ever seen. 
Jeannie Wiley's mother was legally blind, which the woman claimed was the reason why she felt she couldn't intervene on her daughter's behalf when she was abused. Clark Wiley decided that his daughter was mentally disabled and that she'd be useless to society. He banished society from her. No one was allowed to interact with the girl who was mostly locked in a blacked-out room or in a makeshift cage. He kept her strapped into a toddler toilet as a sort of straitjacket, and she wasn't potty trained. Clark Wiley would hit her with a large plank of wood for any infraction. He'd growl outside her door like a deranged guard dog, instilling a lifelong fear of clawed animals in the girl. Some experts believe sexual abuse may have been involved due to Wiley's later sexually inappropriate behavior, particularly involving older men. So, this is disgusting. I, I mean, this is truly the depths of depravity for humans. You take something as precious as any child, but let alone your own child, and you treat them like this? Clark Wiley was a monster. She would later recall she was given some sort of vocabulary by these scientists who were studying her. And she eventually would say things like, and these are going to be quotes, and they're from her. So just understand that she has a very limited vocabulary. So she would say, father hit arm, big wood. Genie cry, not spit. Father, hit face, spit. Father, hit big stick. Father is angry. Father, hit genie, big stick. Father, take peace, wood, hit, cry. Father, make me cry. She had spent 13 years that way. But let's talk about her escape. Fourteen years after Jeannie Wiley's first introduction to her father's cruelty, her mother finally mustered her courage and left. In 1970, she stumbled into social services, mistaking it for the office where they'd give aid to the blind. The office workers' antennae were immediately raised when they noticed the young girl acting so strangely, hopping around like a bunny instead of walking. Jeannie Wiley was then nearly 14, but she looked no more than eight. An abuse case was immediately opened against both parents, but Clark Wiley would kill himself shortly before the trial. He left behind a note which read, The world will never understand. Wiley became a ward of the state. She knew but a few words when she entered UCLA's Children's Hospital and was dubbed by medical professionals there as the most profoundly damaged child they had ever seen. Wiley's case soon enchanted scientists and physicians who applied for and were rewarded a grant by the National Institute of Mental Health to study her. The team explored the developmental consequence of extreme social isolation for four years, from 1971 to 1975. For those four years, Wiley became the center of these scientists' lives. She wasn't socialized and her behavior was distasteful, began Susie Curtis, a linguist intimately involved in the feral child study. But she just captivated us with her beauty. But also for those four years, Wiley's case tested the ethics of a relationship between a subject and their researcher. Wiley would come to live with many of the team members who observed her, which was not only a huge conflict of interest, but also potentially begat another abusive relationship in her life. For four years, Jeannie, the feral child, was subject to scientific experimentation some felt was too rigorous to be ethical. Jeannie Wiley's discovery timed precisely with an uptick in the scientific study of language. To language scientists, Wiley was a blank slate, a way to understand what part language has in our development and vice versa. 
In a twist of dramatic irony, Jeannie Wiley now became deeply wanted. One of the foremost tasks of the Jeannie team was to establish which came first, Wiley's abuse or her lapse in development. Did Wiley's developmental delay come as a symptom from her abuse or was Wiley born challenged? Up until the late 60s, it was largely believed by linguists that children could not learn language after puberty. But Jeannie the feral child disproved this. She had a thirst for learning and curiosity and her researchers found her highly communicative. It turned out that Wiley could learn language, but grammar and sentence structure was another thing entirely. She was smart, Curtis said. She could hold a set of pictures they told a story. She could create all sorts of complex structures from sticks. She had other signs of intelligence. The lights were on. Wiley showed that grammar becomes inexplicable to children without training between 5 and 10, but communication and language remains entirely attainable. Wiley's case also posed some more existential questions about the human experience. Does language make us human? That's a tough question, said Curtis. It's possible to know very little language and still be fully human, to love, form relationships, and engage with the world. Jeannie definitely engaged with the world. She could draw in ways you would know exactly what she was communicating. As such, Wiley could construct simple phrases to convey what she wanted or was thinking, like applesauce by store. But the nuances of a more sophisticated sentence structure were out of her grasp. This demonstrated that language is different from thought. Curtis explained that for many of us, our thoughts are verbally encoded. For Jeannie, her thoughts were virtually never verbally encoded, but there are many ways to think. Jeannie's case did help to establish that there is a point beyond which total language fluency is impossible if the subject does not already speak one language fluently. The case of Jeannie confirms that there is a certain window of opportunity that sets the limit for when you can become relatively fluent in a language. Of course, if you are already fluent in another language, the brain is already primed for language acquisition, and you may well succeed in becoming fluent in a second or third language. If you have no experience with grammar, however, this remains relatively hard to change. You cannot learn grammatical language production later on in life. All right, let's talk a little bit about conflicts of interest and exploitation. For all of their contributions to understanding human nature, the Genie team was not without its critics. For one thing, each of the scientists on the team accused each other of abusing their position and relationships with Jeannie, the feral child. For instance, in 1971, language teacher Jean Butler obtained permission to bring Wiley home with her for socialization purposes. Butler was able to contribute some integral insights on Wiley in this environment, including the feral child's fascination with collecting buckets and other containers that stored liquid, a common trait amongst other children who have faced extreme isolation. She also saw that Jeannie Wiley was beginning puberty at this time, a sign that her health was strengthening. The arrangement went along well enough for a time until Butler claimed she caught rubella and would need to quarantine herself and Wiley. Their temporary situation turned more permanent. Butler turned away the other physicians on the Genie team, claiming that they were subjecting her to too much scrutiny. She applied for the foster care of Wiley as well. Later, Butler was accused by other members of the team of exploiting Wiley. They said Butler believed her young ward would make her, quote, the next Anne Sullivan, the teacher who helped Helen Keller to become as capable as possible. As such, 
Wiley later went to live with the family of therapist David Riggler, another member of the Genie team. As far as Jeannie Wiley's luck would allow, this seemed to be a good fit for her and a time to develop and discover the world with people who genuinely cared for her well-being. This arrangement also gave the Genie team more access to her. One particularly striking memory of those early months was an absolutely wonderful man who was a butcher, and he never asked her name, he never asked anything about her. They just connected and communicated somehow. And every time we came in, and I know this was so with others as well, he would slide open a little window and hand her something that wasn't wrapped, a bone of some sort, some meat, fish, whatever. And he would allow her to do her thing with it. What was her thing? Basically, it was to explore it tactily, to put it up against her lips and feel it with her lips and touch it, almost as if she were blind. Wiley remained an expert in nonverbal communication and had a way of expressing her thoughts to people even if she couldn't speak to them. Riggler, too, recalled how one time a father and his young son carrying a fire engine passed by Wiley, and they just passed, Riggler remembered. And then they turned around and came back, and the boy, without a word, handed the fire engine to Jeannie. She never asked for it. She never said a word. She did this kind of thing, somehow, to people. And that's a really sweet story that maybe she communicated it somehow or maybe this wonderful young boy just saw that you know she needed this more than he did and decided to give it to her despite the progress she displayed at the Wrigglers once the funding ended for the study in 1975 Wiley went to live with her mother for a brief period in 79, her mother filed a lawsuit against the hospital and her daughter's individual caregivers, including the scientists on the Genie team, alleging they exploited Wiley for prestige and profit. The suit was settled in 1984, and Wiley's contact with her researchers was all but entirely severed. I kind of have a problem with all of this because, you know, for her mother, it's kind of seems like a money grab. You know, like, oh, well... You know, for 13 years, I let her be kept in a fucking cage strapped to a toilet. But now you guys are going to get famous off her, so I want some money. Could be wrong, but that's how it kind of shakes out to me. But what do you think? I don't know. This is such a bizarre story. I've never heard this before. I'm kind of still taking it all in. Like, you know, seeing the notes and going through the synopsis and all is one thing, but like really reading through it and while you were reading that i was pulling up photos of her like what she looked like mm -hmm. and there are photos where you can tell that she's walking but like it's an odd gait because she was chained to a mm -hmm. like porta potty type thing yeah for 13 years if you guys like this story then definitely go check out we have a whole episode on feral kids it's one of our early episodes and we talk i think four or five stories of kids that were kind of almost raised by animals. So go back and check that out. But you want to tell us about Jeannie Wiley learning. Jeannie Wiley was returned to foster care after the research on her ended. She regressed in these environments and never regained speech. Wiley was eventually placed in a number of foster homes, some of which were also abusive. 
There, Wily was beaten for vomiting and regressed greatly. She never regained the progress she had made. Jeannie Wiley's present life is unknown. Once her mother took custody, she refused to let her daughter be the subject of any more studies. Like so many people with special needs, she fell through the cracks of proper care. Wiley's mother died in 2003, her brother John in 2011, and her niece Pamela in 2012. Russ Reimer, a journalist, tried to piece together what led to the dissolution of Wiley's team, but he found the task challenging as the scientists had all divided on who was exploitative and who had the feral child's best interests in mind. The tremendous rift complicated my reporting, Reimer said. That was also part of the breakdown that turned her treatment into such a tragedy. He later recalled visiting Wiley on her 27th birthday and seeing a large bumbling woman with a facial expression of cow-like incomprehension. Her eyes focused poorly on the cake. Her dark hair has been hacked off raggedly at the top of her forehead, giving her the aspect of an asylum inmate. Despite this, Wiley is not forgotten by those that cared about her. I'm pretty sure she's still alive because I've asked each time I called and they told me she's well, Curtis said. They never let me have any contact with her. I've become powerless in my attempts to visit her or write to her. I think my last contact was in the early 1980s. Curtis added in a 2008 interview that she has spent the last 20 years looking for her. I can get as far as the social worker in charge of her case, but I can't get any farther. As of 2008, Wildey was in an assisted living facility in Los Angeles. Jeannie, the feral child's story is not a happy one as she drifted from one abusive situation to another and by all accounts was denied and failed by society at every step. But one can hope that wherever she is, she continues to find joy in discovering the still new world around her and instills in others the fascination and affection that she had for her researchers. That's a wild story, man. Yeah. It's no kidding. tragic all around. You know, she was failed by basically everybody in her life it seems like the butcher understood and that little boy understood but i also question the ethics of the scientist because everybody wants that one thing that kind of sets them out or sets them you know above others and if they could somehow get this child to be able to speak appropriately, they would be famous and they would be able to get grants for other things and stuff like that. And I feel like almost everybody in her life just took, nobody gave, they just took. And I know that they, you know, taught her some basic language, which is wonderful, but I don't know. I, I mean, you can have two motivations, right? You can say, I want to help this child and I want to get famous and, you know, become a Nobel winner or whatever. So I don't, I don't know. It's hard to call, but I can't imagine, you know, in his suicide note, Clark said the world will never understand. Well, there is no explanation. There is never, unless you have freaking Damien, the devil child. There is no situation that can excuse how she was treated. Clark, he may, I'm sure he was mentally ill, but that doesn't mean that you don't know right from wrong. And I hate to say it, but I don't feel bad for him. 
you know, he, he commits suicide. He goes where he goes. Right. I mean, you, if you can do that to somebody, that's the kind of thing that shows that it will never be safe for you to be in society. And that's what we look at death penalty and, and life imprisonment. These people will never be safe to be in society or society will never be safe with these people free. And I feel like that about her dad, because if you can do that to your own kid, I can't see how murder would be a problem for you or rape would be a problem for you. And he may have done that to her too. But if you do this to a child, what's your threshold? What's your limit? It's you'll do anything. So that's my final thought. This is a pretty depressing one to end on. I've been reading a lot about kids since we have one on the way now, me and Kim. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Kim seems like a little more focused on, you know, let's replicate the things that were good about our childhoods and just try to, you know, love her and be as good as we can to her. Yeah. Uh, But recently I've been finding articles and podcasts and things like that where they're talking about like attachment theory and things like that and the way kids develop and how early on you can learn just behaviors that are going to stick with you forever unless you consciously like probably work with a therapist to do something about them you know mm-hmm. there were experiments where they found that you know if the if a baby cries or a small child cries and they're like caregiver whether that's a nanny or whatever kind of doesn't want to deal with it mm-hmm. you know like puts them down and like walks away or leaves them alone to do whatever they're doing mm-hmm. that that child can really quickly learn at a very young age if I express how I feel, it will drive people away. Mm. And in some cases it can lead to like really unhealthy ways of dealing with negative emotions in the future. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that I never thought about, you know, even some of my friends have told me things that I didn't know about their childhoods. Like, Hey, don't like really try not to play favorites because that messes stuff up. Like you may think of all your kids as like, I have three kids or whatever, and I love them all equally, but you know, they, the kids will, Think of it as a hierarchy, probably, is mm-hmm. what she was saying. And it becomes very apparent to kids when they're being treated differently. Yeah. There's just so much that goes into it. And then the idea of, like, this is the worst. It, it's unimaginable. It almost doesn't seem real. Yeah. Yeah. To, like, essentially do everything perfectly wrong. Mm-hmm. To perfectly go through and, like, look at all the child development stuff and be like, what if I do the exact opposite? Yeah. It's a tragedy. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for you on Jeannie Wiley. Uh, maybe after parties, not a great choice for this after party. Maybe we'll just call it like an after hours. We hope you enjoyed the after hours today. Um, it is a sad story, but it's important for people to hear that this this kind of stuff is out there and you know we have to do everything we can do to combat it fight it and i mean at some point you know there's you've just done all you can do and unfortunately well i i hope genie had as a fulfilling you know existence later in life as possible you'll never be able to go back and you know fix the damage that was done you know i mean essentially you are cutting parts out of her if 
you don't give her the ability to learn language, you are tearing a piece of her away. And if you don't let her, you know, walk appropriately and get physical exercise and stuff, you are tearing away pieces that belong to her. And, you know, this person did this and that's out there. So people need to know that. But in any case, tell them what they need to know about Cryptique. Subscribe and most importantly, share each episode on your favorite social media platforms. Please click the Parabox link in the show notes to get some dope swag and ciphers, mysteries, and puzzles to solve. It's an interactive t-shirt experience. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.